Hi, I'm Mark Buckley. I'm glad to be with you today. I want to say thank you for those of you who have been praying for my wife, Christina. She had a heart transplant last Friday night. She's going to be coming home, hopefully this coming week. Um, we're really excited about it. She's got the heart of a young woman now, and uh, it's going to be very, very interesting what happens. It's really been miraculous. She literally got down to the last two weeks or so that she could live with her old heart. And uh, after a two-year wait, she's got a brand new one. So thank you for those of you who have been praying for us. I also want to say uh, I appreciate the opportunity to bring you the Word of God. The title of my message today is The King's Dream. And it's um, from Daniel chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, open to Daniel 2. If you need to run and grab one or look over with a neighbor, then share with them if you will. One of the main themes here is that there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was a bad news guy. There's no other way around it. He was a tyrant. He was somebody who at one point builds a golden statue of himself and commands people to either bow down and worship it or be burned alive. You know, it's not a lot of good options for the people. And the people of God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are like, no, we're not going there. We'll, we'll serve our God. And if he delivers us, that's awesome. And even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down because that would be a sin against God. So in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's a powerful dream, and it really disturbs him. Before I get into the details of it, I want to pray with you if you don't mind. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I thank you for my brothers and sisters watching this today, and I pray your blessing upon them. Give me, Lord, the unction of the, your spirit to preach the oracles of God in Jesus' name. So I think Nebuchadnezzar was looking for an excuse to get rid of a lot of people. Somehow, some way, he was mad at the so-called wise men, the enchanters, the astrologers. He probably realized that a lot of them were frauds. They were charlatans. They were pretending to have supernatural power, and maybe some of them had some supernatural power through demonic sources, but they didn't know the living God, so they weren't always accurate, and sometimes they were downright deceptive. And something must have happened where Nebuchadnezzar realized that he was having guys that were, were playing spiritual games with him and manipulating him. So when he had a very vivid, powerful, disturbing dream, he decided to either they were going to interpret the dream or he was going to have them put to death. So what happens was he, he has the dream and the next day he summons his main astrologers and chanters and sorcerers and he says I want you guys to tell me the dream that I had and interpret it for me and they're like well we'll be glad to interpret it just tell us what the dream was and he's like no I am not telling you the dream I want to know if you're really the kind of people who have wisdom from God or not therefore the only way I'm going to know is if you can tell me the dream I'm not giving you any information about it they're like nobody's ever told us to do this before. This is absolutely impossible. And they all start to freak out. And after several hours, Nebuchadnezzar issues the order to his guards, hey, round up these frauds, kill them all. Well, he was casting a real 
wide net. All of the major people in his life that would be like the, the cabinet officers of the president, the advisors, the chief of staff and the staff, they were all going to be killed. Daniel gets the message that this is going to happen. So he goes to his friends, and we're going to pick this up in Daniel chapter 2 in uh, verse 17. It says, Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are the guys that are also named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Babylonians changed their name because they were trying to give them a brand new identity. He urged them, Daniel 2.18, to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Wisdom and power belong to God. That's what Daniel said. Daniel cried out to God with his friends for mercy. A lot of people think, well, if you know God, it's almost like a formula. If you say the right words, then God is going to act. He has to act if you say the right words in his name. But the Apostle Paul said a very similar thing in the book of Philippians. He said, my friend Aphroditeus got really sick and God had mercy on me when he healed him because otherwise I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. The Apostle Paul, the great man of God, had experienced a lot of sorrow. He didn't say, fortunately, Aphroditeus claimed in the name of God in the name of Jesus and said the words he was supposed to say and therefore God had to heal him. No, it was mercy. Healing is a gift. It's a gift that we don't deserve. It's a gift that Jesus Christ purchased for us when he died on the cross. Just like forgiveness of sins is a gift. It's a gift that Jesus Christ purchased for us when he died on the cross. The gifts of God have to be received and it's the mercy of God that allows us to receive the gifts. Some of you are watching me right now. You've been forgiven for your sins. You're not better people than some of the other people wandering around this town. You have sinned greatly. The difference between you and some of them is that you have believed God, and when you believe God, it enables you to receive from God the grace and mercy that brings the forgiveness or brings the healing or whatever we need. So I'm gonna tell you another little episode that happened. I was out with my dear friend, Pastor Walt Rattray, on a golf course the other day. We were both taking a break, and I was deeply troubled. My wife uh, was starting to recover from open heart surgery, and I had been full of joy about that. But no sooner had the joy come into our family from that, that my oldest daughter gave me a report. Actually, I get it, got the report from uh, her daughter's dad, her ex-boyfriend, that it looked like she had COVID-19. She had the dry cough. She had shortness of breath. She had had fevers. It had been going on for days, and it was so bad when I talked to her on the phone, she could barely speak because her lungs were filling up with fluid and I was deeply distressed. And I'm out on the golf course, and uh, I had received a call from her, and I said to Pastor Walt, 
well, uh, I'm, I'm having trouble. You know, you're beating me, I'm distracted, and I'm having trouble. And so he stopped and prayed, and we went on. We played a couple more holes, and I'm a little bit out of it. And Walt comes back over to me, and he says, we're going to pray again. And he just rebukes the spirit of COVID-19 in the name of Jesus. Now, I have to tell you something. I actually thought, um, Walt, if she's got it, she's got it. And I'm not sure what you're doing is going to do any good at all. But guess what happened? The next day, instead of her lungs filling up with fluid, that day that we had prayed, Walt and I prayed, she went to the hospital and got medicine and tested. The next day, she was better. Today, she's completely fine. There was a gift of grace and mercy and the prayer of faith that Pastor Walt prayed had great power. So when Daniel says, wisdom and power are his, that belongs to God, one of the benefits of following God is that he gives his servants the wisdom and power we need. Not always the wisdom and power we want, but the wisdom and power we need. See, I, I would like to know exactly what's going to happen with our economy and when it's going to happen and how the whole COVID-19 thing is going to uh, pass away and when, when the vaccines are going to be available and when everybody's going to feel super comfortable hugging everybody else and, and going back and seeing your grandma and all that kind of stuff. That's what I'd like to know, but that's not what I've been told. I have the wisdom that I need to serve the Lord, not always the wisdom I want. If I had had the power to just give my wife a new heart, I would have. I, we asked for a new heart. God gave a new heart. He gave it through the doctors, though. And it's probably because he wants my wife to be a witness, which she's been to a whole bunch of doctors. And it is a miracle when you can take a 66-year-old lady and put a new young person's heart in her and she can get up and walk like she's walking and talk like she's talking and function like she's functioning and she will fulfill the ministry God has for her because in spite of all that she's been through, she's alive and well. And you, many of you, have been part of that healing because you prayed for Christina. And again, I want to say thank you. So the, some of you have heard me share on this passage before, but I've been drawn back to it over and over these last months. And here's part of the reason why. Daniel 2.21 says, he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He changes times and seasons. Now, at first glance, you'd think, well, yeah, obviously, we go from winter to spring to summer to fall. He changes the seasons for us all, four times a year, right? But this isn't the kind of seasons he's talking about here. Daniel is in a unique time in the nation Israel's history because Israel had been overrun. Judah had been destroyed. The, the temple in Babylon had been, I mean, the temple in Jerusalem, the house of God had been destroyed. Daniel and his friends had been taken captive out of Judah from the city of Jerusalem, brought back to Babylon. They were in a unique season. God changes the times and the season. You, we're going to look back in history and say, this is the 
COVID-19 season that we're in. And I believe in every season, there's a purpose. There's a, a time for every matter under heaven, as you know from Ecclesiastes 3. Time to be born, time to die, a time to plant, time to reap, time to build up, time to tear down. So we're in a season right now. The question is, what's the season for? What is the purpose of God? I believe that this is a season for us to get deeper roots. You know, uh, many of you wish you were just free to travel, that you had time, that you had money, that you had opportunity. But let me ask you a question. You have done some traveling in the past. You've had money in the past. It's come, it's gone. Where's it got you? Where, where has it got you? It's actually got you right to where you are today in the place that you are right now. And now this is the day the Lord has made. This is the time and the season for us to get our roots deeper. Whenever God prunes us back, and most of us are being pruned back, when you, when you lose a certain amount of freedom, when you lose some of the opportunities you had um, because the Lord, he gives and he takes away. You know, there's a song that says he gives and he takes away. Um, it's for the purpose of us getting our roots deeper so that we can ultimately be more fruitful. We are called to bear fruit. So take advantage of this time. There's going to be a new season coming after this season, and you're probably going to be a lot more busier. You're going to be more stretched out. You're going to have less time to get into the Word, to get into prayer. You're going to have less time to focus on serving the people you're with now, and you're going to have a whole new set of circumstances, whole new set of pressures, whole new set of challenges. If you miss the opportunity to enjoy this day, this is the day the Lord's made. If you miss this day, you never get it back. Time is the one unrenewable resource that we all have. Does that, does that make sense? Money is a renewable resource. You can make it, you can have it given to you, you can find it, and you can spend it, you can lose it, you can invest it badly. It can come and it can go. Time, you have a gift of this day. Once it's over, you never get it back. Okay, so it says this, continuing on in verse 21, of Daniel 2. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. I want wisdom. Wisdom is going to tell me what choice to make. There, there are crossroads in life all the time. You, you have an opportunity to go here or to go there, to invest your time, your talent, your treasure here or there or somewhere else. Wisdom puts you on the right path. It puts you on the path that enables you to be most fruitful. Wisdom is the ability to hear four or five different opinions and to understand which of those opinions is the opinion that you need to hang on to. It's the ability to discern the voice of the Lord because the voice of the Lord is wisdom. By wisdom, he created the world. By, by wisdom, he formed everything that we know. That's why it all works so well. That's why the planets revolve around each other in perfect symmetry. That's why 
Gravity is just strong enough to hold us down. We don't fly away and we're not a big puddle on the earth. That's why the sun is at the perfect distance to uh, warm us, to, to help feed us, and not to just burn us up. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. Verse 22, he knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. This is a fascinating verse because remember the context. Daniel had been praying about a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't disclose. Daniel was asleep or in a way, it says a vision in the night came to him. Maybe he couldn't sleep because he would be executed in the morning, but he's crying out to God with his friends. And as they're crying out to God, the mystery is revealed. The Lord is called in this book of Daniel, the revealer of mysteries. And there are a lot of mysteries in life. And, and whatever kind of family you come from, I'll tell you one thing about your family. You're gonna have some crises. You're gonna have unexpected situations. It's rarely in life that the things we anticipate going wrong, go wrong. I mean, sometimes they go wrong, but many times what really messes us up are things that we never anticipated. I didn't marry my wife thinking that she was gonna have um, to get a heart transplant. I didn't have a daughter thinking that she was gonna have MS, which she does, and maybe get COVID-19. I didn't have a son and think he was gonna drown when he was 16 but he did. I didn't anticipate any of those scenarios. But God is a revealer of mysteries. So when you have a crisis in your family, your family might not be just jumping at the chance to hear you preach to them. My family isn't all that keen. I have seven younger brothers and sisters. I have 20-some nieces and nephews. I've got a huge extended family. I'm the oldest son of the family. But you know what? Even though I've been following Jesus since 1970, which is coming on 50 years, that's a long time. Um, they're not keen about me preaching to them. Some of them don't mind. But you know when they want me? They want me in the time of crises. They want me when they're in over their head and they know it. A crisis is always an opportunity for a man or woman of God. That's when what's really in your heart in terms of the treasure of Christ can actually feed. It can be like manna for the people that you love. You can be there for them. Or if you're in a business and the business is in a crisis and you've got a low-level position, that crisis can be an opportunity for God to promote you. That's what happened to Joseph when he was in prison in Egypt. He had interpreted a dream for a guy, and the guy got out of prison, went back to work for the Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh, two years later, had a horrific nightmare about this famine coming, and he couldn't understand what it meant. And then the, the guy that, that had been in prison with Daniel working for Pharaoh says, oh yeah, I forgot. There's a guy back in prison he can interpret dreams, so they bring him out of the prison, bring him to Pharaoh, and guess what? 
the crises of Pharaoh's nightmare becomes the opportunity for Joseph to be delivered from prison and become the right-hand man of Pharaoh. The crises of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he had a couple of them that were pretty bad, and one of them was after this one, uh, declaring that he was going to be removed from office, that he was going to lose his throne for seven years. Well, the, the beautiful thing about it was Daniel, who knows the revealer of mysteries, God, Daniel who serves God faithfully, Daniel who's just a man like me and you, just a regular person, um, but he stays faithful when he really needs God to come through, God comes through. And Daniel gets the answer to the dream. He says this, I'm going to read this verse again. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. Light dwells with him. So I'm going to share a prophetic story with you, okay, about a man that is a friend of mine named Bill Ford. He was part of our church at Living Streams for a number of years, very humble servant of God. He would uh, bring a man in a wheelchair to church every Sunday and, uh, and, and just a real faithful, loving servant. He comes to visit me, wants an appointment in my office. This is back in 1999. And uh, I didn't know what he wanted to talk about, but I was glad to meet with him. And he says, Pastor Mark, when we sit down in my office, he says, uh, I want to tell you a story. And he tells me that in the early 90s, he was a farmer in Texas, and um, there was a major drought, and a lot of the farmers were really hurting. And he was praying a lot about it, and God told him to plow his field into great big chunks. And he sort of wrestled with the Lord, because sometimes the Lord tells us things that are outside of our comfort zone, that, that just don't make a whole bunch of sense. And uh, he wrestles with the Lord about it, and then he decides, I'm going to just go ahead and do it. Now, his neighboring farmers, they were hurting too. They thought he was absolutely crazy. Um, they plowed their fields into little chunks to prepare for planting. Well, shortly after everybody had their fields plowed, there was a torrential rain. The rain, I mean, it was just like the cats and dogs just falling from the sky like crazy, and it broke up those big chunks that Bill had plowed his field into, into tiny little chunks, perfect for planting. And his neighbors, who thought he was crazy, who had planted their fields in little chunks, had their fields wash away, and uh, erosion took away the topsoil. They were in worse shape than ever. God came through for Bill. He told me that story. I thought, that's a beautiful story, Bill. That's really awesome how the Lord rewarded you for obeying him. And then he said, Pastor Mark, I got to tell you, um, the Lord also showed me that just like there was a drought in Texas, we're going to head into a very difficult economic time and there's going to be a crash in the stock market. Now, I didn't say these words to him, but I want to tell you my attitude. My attitude was, Bill, you're a wonderful man of God. I'm so glad the Lord helped you when you were farming, but you're a farmer, dude. You don't know anything about the stock market. So I had saved some money for my family, my wife and four, well, I had three kids at that time since our oldest had already died. And we put that money into some real high-tech mutual funds. And four months after Bill met me in my office, the stock market crashed. The dot-com bubble burst 
and we lost 80% of the money that we had because I didn't listen to my brother. Now, I asked the Lord to forgive me. I said, Lord, if you ever have another word from Bill, uh, let me know about it so I'm ready. So fast forward now eight years after that. Eight years later, 2007, I meet Bill at a wedding. I say, Bill, has the Lord told you anything lately? And he said, yes, we're going to have another crash. And uh, I forget all the details, but I thought, you know, Bill, you are a sweet guy. But 2007, man, our economy was booming. The housing market was going up all over. House, housing prices were going up 30, 40, 50 percent. Made us all feel like we were doing great. And um, sure enough, 2008, you know what happened? It all crashed. 2008, 9, 10, the whole thing went into the tank. And all of us who owned homes lost 30, 40 percent of the value. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs. It was a big mess. So I say, Bill, uh, I'm sorry I didn't listen to you. Lord, if you ever have another word for Bill, please uh, tell him and tell me. Well, that was 2008. Fast forward 10 more years. Two years ago, Bill came to me and he said, I've got another word from the Lord. He said, I see thousands of people out in the Arizona deserts camping out. And they're like travelers. They're men who are traveling from place to place. Sort of like hobo hippies or something like that, just moving along. And uh, he told me this two years ago, 2018, and I'm thinking, Bill, I wanted to hear a word from the Lord. I was going to act on it if it was appropriate. But this seems wild. This is more wild than any of those other. Why would thousands of people be camping out in the desert? And I'll tell you why I think they're camping out in the desert. I think that he saw something in the spirit about this current crisis that we're in that's going to cause millions of people to lose their jobs and thousands of guys to begin to roam the country uh, saving money on their rent and so forth by living in little trailers, living in little tents and that sort of thing. Probably not in the summertime in the Arizona desert, but maybe in the winter, spring, and fall. And some of you are going to be used by God if you allow yourself to share Christ with those guys. Some of you are going to be used by God to share the gospel because the Lord knows what's hidden in darkness. Read that verse again. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. He knows what people do in their dark times. And it's just as well that we don't know because uh, it would depress us. People can do ugly and wicked things. And that's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus to cleanse us from our sin. Verse 23, it's our last major verse. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So here's the dream that Daniel saw. He saw a giant statue, head of gold, chest of silver, bronze thighs, feet of iron, I mean, legs of iron and feet mixed with iron and clay. He sees this incredible statue, sort of weird in the way it's all built with different, different precious stones and then iron and clay at the bottom. And then he sees a hand, not the hand of man, but a giant hand 
carve a stone out of a mountain and that hand takes the stone over to the statue and he smashes the feet of iron and clay and the statue begins to crumble and he continues to smash it, to pulverize it, to the, the iron, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, and a big wind comes and blows it all away. And that stone grows into a giant mountain and it fills the earth. And here's what Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar. You are that head of gold, King. You think your great riches have made you so special, but your destiny is to be pulverized just like the kingdom that will follow you that is represented by the silver and the kingdom that will follow them which is represented by the bronze and the next kingdom represented by iron and the brittle kingdom of iron and clay. All of those kingdoms are destined to fall, but there is a kingdom that's going to endure forever, and that is the kingdom of the Lord our God, represented by this stone. Daniel didn't know Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar definitely didn't know Jesus, but God gave a king, a, a wicked king, a dream, and he gave a man of God the interpretation. And I want to give you an interpretation right now. I serve a king, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. You, many of you, serve a king, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ has a dream as well. He has a dream, and he expressed it in Matthew 6 when he prayed, and he taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He has a dream that the heavenly obedience that is given to God by the angels would be manifest on the earth as we willingly submit to a loving Father. That's part of his dream. He expresses part of his dream in John 14, 6, where he said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus' dream was that his disciples would bring people to the Father. It wasn't that we would get bigger church buildings. It wasn't that we would get better cars. It wouldn't be that we would have bigger bank accounts. It would be that we would know the Father, the loving, providing, protecting blessing of a father that Jesus brought to us. That was part of his dream. His dream was expressed in John 17, 21. Father, that they might know you. I pray that they might know you. He said in John 17, 3, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ. He said in John 17, 21, I pray that they may be one, Father, as we are one, that the world might know that you sent me. He prayed for his disciples, for us, that we would be one, that we'd be united, that what, what I have, I would share with you. What you have, you would share with me. 
what we have, we would share with the church down the street. We would share with the other churches in our city. We would share with those who have a need because he has done great things. He has given us abundance. He has given us eternal life. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. He said that, that the intent and purpose of God is to unite all things under Christ. That is the dream of God that Paul saw. Paul in Ephesians goes on to say, I see Jews and Gentiles cooperating like one new man, the dividing wall of hostility be gone. I see people uh, boldly coming before the Lord, before his throne of grace. As we close this service, I want you to come boldly before the throne of grace. We have a loving Father. He has a dream. All we have to do is cooperate with it. We have to say, you know what? I'm going to give up some of my dream for a dream that's bigger than mine. I want to cooperate with his plan. His plan is different than mine, but I'm going to trust him. It's hard when you've been burned in life to trust. It's hard when you have an imperfect father to trust, but you have a new father if you've been born again. He's a good, good father. He's a loving father. He is a faithful father. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray for your blessing upon them. I pray that this anointing of grace and mercy that has come to our family would be extended to each person listening who's open to receive it right now, that they would cooperate with your plans and your purposes, that as they come to the crossroads of life, you would give them wisdom. As they're in a crisis, you would guide their steps. You would lead them to the eternal life, the free gift we have, through the forgiveness of sins. And we do pray you'll forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for going our own way. Forgive us for being stubborn. Forgive us for being greedy. Forgive us for being lustful. And use us. Help us as you forgive us to be used by you to bring good news to others that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being with me today.